Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of The Thunder Heist. I'm Dirk, I- Dirk Ashton, I think, um, apparently. <laughs> author of the Paternus Trilogy. I'm Michael R. Fletcher, author of the Obsidian Path series. And I'm Rob J. Hayes, author of... I'm going to go with drones because nobody's ever heard of that hey. one, so... Uh, and I've also got a little Dirk minifigure here, just just in case our Dirk disappears. He's having some connection issues. <laughs> Mike, what? I already had... Oh, you've already introduced yourself. I had to no, do just, it again. God damn no, it! Just that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you stop listening as soon as I start talking. I knew I'm it. You're like, sorry, everybody. I thought we'd have gotten through an introduction cleanly, but we hadn't. Um, and we are joined today by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Adrian, would you like to introduce Woo! yourself? Yeah, he's back. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm Adrian Tchaikovsky. I'm a sci-fi and fantasy author. I have uh, written probably most prominently Children of Time, which is a book about giant spiders out of space. Uh, my most recent published book is Doors of Eden, which is a cross-world, deep-time evolutionary thriller. And um, he describes it differently every single time, and it still <laughs> sounds amazing. That's because I can never remember what I said previously. <laughs> Oh, that just makes it even more insulting, the fact that you can improv an amazing book pitch every single time it comes up. Um, just so, most of us to talk about our books, we're like, I don't know, it's got stuff in it. It's got words. Do you like letters? It's got letters. Um, so today's episode is going to be a kind of mixed bag. We're basically calling it the interrogation of Adrian Tchaikovsky. So we'll be hurling a bunch of questions at Adrian um, and uh, we'll see how he responds. So who wants to kick things off? Who wants to begin the grilling? Yeah, I... Uh, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so Adrian, uh, themes. Um, are you sort of much of a theme writer? Um, is that something you, you sort of think about beforehand? You go into a story with, a, with sort of some, an underlying idea, not so much the science, uh, the sort of the less obvious side of stuff. Um, 
and for you like what would they be and you know uh i'm just curious <laughs> i don't think I, I i don't tend to sort of sit down beforehand in a very scholarly way and 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 have certain themes i want to explore but on the other hand i think i do have a particular playbook that i naturally come back to because they're just things that interest me and, and it's just humans meeting the unknown and also frankly the unknown meeting humans um so in the sense of us um running into creatures that see the world differently to us whether they're things that we've built or whether they're things that have um developed sort of out there before we we go to meet them or they come to meet us uh and also in books like my uh walking to Alderbrand, it's the idea of going to the uncanny place and being surrounded by that kind of the alien architecture and the alien purpose that you can't guess at and that the idea of finding the idea of expanding our, our own horizons by meeting the other i think is something that turns up an awful lot in my writing that's interesting because i've just uh, recently finished listening to children of um ruin uh which is your sequel to children of time and it it, it really felt like communication was a definite theme that you had running throughout with the sort of like you know you had at that point like spiders and humans and uh yeah. octo octopi octopods octopuses uh and then um well you basically had the thing running around as well uh, <laughs> and there was a there was a definite sort of like idea of the communication between those those different species was was difficult um, and miscommunication was a major thing as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, um, it, that was almost a lemons and lemonade thing that kind of arose naturally because of the, the, the setup I devised, because the, quite frequently in science fiction, and certainly it's something that I've done, is you have a situation where there is a kind of a Rosetta Stone involved so that the actual language barrier is broken. Um, and in, you know, in Children of Time, you have a kind of an intervening human culture that is able to communicate with both sides in the form of Avrana Kern. Um, and I realized pretty quickly in Children of the Ruin that there wasn't really, it would have, effectively it would have been fudging too much to have a universal translator in the book. Um, because usually what I'm, in, what I'm interested in is it's that whole, whole kind of, if a lion could speak, could we understand what it would have to say? rather than well how do you get a lion to speak but with children of ruin i realized actually that speaking to the lion effectively was going to be a major element of the plot because we are dealing with there with things that think so differently to us that simply mm. having a common language isn't enough uh i mean honestly i it wasn't real it wasn't explicitly start it didn't explicitly start out as a kind of a, <laughs> a homage to Ted Chiang and um, Arrival, but to a certain extent, because it deals with linguistics and the, the attempt to communicate with something truly alien, it, I think it, it did end up occupying a certain amount of the same mental yeah. space as that. Arrival is my favorite movie of all time. Um, and I love the short story. And oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just, I can totally see how you are kind of expanding upon those. And it's, it's great as well, because the movie's amazing, the short story is incredible, but it's it's really cool to be able to sit down with a book like yours, which kind of extrapolates it for not two hours, but you know, like 16 hours or whatever it is. Um, this is a, 
on a, a more possibly generic note than that, um, did you have sequels in mind for Children of Time when you started writing that, or did you have to somehow find the sequel opportunity after finishing it? Um, it was certainly written as a standalone. Hmm. Um, but on the other hand, there, is, there are very few things I've written that haven't been written with a, a backdoor that could lead on to a sequel, because frankly, that's good trade craft, because yes. you never know what, I mean, when I wrote Children of Time, it was not written to be, this is going to be the great thing that will <laughs> propel me, my career forward. It was written as, I'm a fantasy writer, I want to write this weird science fiction thing, maybe I could talk my publisher into putting it out. And we did, and it was put out as a little contract on its own with a very, very small advance, um, basically because the fantasy books were doing just about well enough to float it. And of course, since then, that's the whole thing completely flipped, and that's become the big thing that I do. But um, yeah, the idea that I would get to write more than one science fiction book full stop ever was certainly not in my head at the time. Um, usually it's a matter of well all right i vaguely know where the sequel can go and let's just give it a crack with children of ruin it took and also i mean again with the one i'm currently working on which is which is theoretically going to be titled children of memory um it takes a while because given how well the original book did and given the amount of I guess kind of philosophical burden the original book has in the mm. in the themes it explores. I didn't think I could just well I will dash off another book and it will be <laughs> space octopuses and it'll basically we'll just do the same thing and it'll be the octopuses and that that's all it does. Which I probably could have done and I could have done a whole series of humans bumbling about the galaxy, running into different uplifted animals, and I would have been perfectly happy writing that. But I don't think it would have filled the promise of the the first book. No, and that's what um, I was expecting so to, as well. I was expecting it to be yeah, like the same thing with octopus, but it wasn't. It was it's so different. Yeah, um, because I didn't. I I, th I felt that just re repeating the same thing with a different species, whilst I would have loved to do it, wouldn't have wouldn't have been a satisfying read. Uh, mm. And so, Children of Ruin has its own sort of philosophical <clears throat> place to explore, and Children of Memory likewise again. Um, and for that reason, it took quite a long time for the ideas to come together to the point where I felt there was actually, I had a book's worth of coherent um, sort of story to tell. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the sequels in that particular series are challenging purely because I think the bar is relatively high. Yeah, I was going to say, it must be absolutely <laughs> terrifying to write the sequel to an Arthur C. Clarke Award winner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing a sequel to some book that I've done Ah, they, they sequels freak me out but then but to follow something like that it was like oh you know there's no pressure <laughs> yeah the book that was literally <laughs> voted as the best science fiction book of this year now do that again yeah. but better <laughs> it was yeah i mean i mean it's i mean you you, you joke but that it's it's it was a very real worry because mm. you do feel you're going to be judged to a higher standard than most most books you put out and i think you know I, I feel with Children of Win, I did manage to hit that spot. And I don't, you know, we'll see how Children's Memory comes out. But it is, it's definitely an extra challenge. And that's, I mean, I, there's certainly projects that I, I put off until I felt absolutely ready to give them, to um, have a go at them. And, they, and all, Children of Ruin was, and Children of Memory is shaping up to be, it's also a considerably more challenging writing experience um, than the average book I, I try my hand at. 
So oh, after you... writing that one, you're going to get back to some uh, some solid fantasy and just have a bit of fun again. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, you know, I, it's it's not so much the fun, but it's certainly um, I'm using more experiments in structure um, that in those books than I am in most of my other things. And I don't think that necessarily translates into it's a better or worse read, but it certainly makes it a more challenging write. I've got a question about, so for, your, for example, with, oh, sorry, with, with, with Children of Ruin, there are two, rather than having the two storylines separated in place, which Children of Time has, Children of Ruin has two storylines separated in time. And while I would normally sit down and write a book start to finish in the order it would appear in the page, I had to kind of write all the past sequences first so that the present day sequences would match up with what had happened. And that was quite an uncomfortable writing experience because you kind of feel you're doing it without safety net at that point you're kind of just off on, on, on the high wire and you're hoping that these the sort of the two ends of the tunnel that you're building like connect up underneath exactly that yeah, yeah. And, and, and on, a, on a kind of a thematic level because it's a matter it's, it's a matter of you've got you've got to take uh into account what information you need to have given in one plot line Mm. Uh, and it's not just that the plant influences the present it's it's what you're what you're saying about the present that then will resonate in the past section that people are reading after that present section and it gets very complicated did you need a lot of yeah. editing and cutting and rearranging to make that work um a, certainly more than i would normally do i mean normally i do try and have something that i can that is fairly close to my to the final submission when i get to the end of the first draft and that certainly wasn't the case with Ruin, and it won't be with any, well, it isn't with memory, because I've got to a point where I thought, well, I'm probably quite close to the end, and I've looked at what I've done, I think, actually, I've got a way to go to make everything kind of line up in a way for the reader, and I've got quite a bit I need to add in in, in, in the form of kind of connective tissue. Interesting. Other questions? Um, if not, I can go. A lot of our, uh, Adrian, a lot of our listeners are new new authors or mm -hmm. uh, they're they're beginning to write or they want to begin to write um uh and um so i was just wondering if we could get a little feel for going back to uh little young adrian wants to be a writer just a just a uh, a little about your your path and uh, maybe some advice for for new authors i mean i i think the problem with advice to authors is everyone everyone's process is different um, yeah everyone will find that different yeah. things will work for them um i mean certainly i don't think i had a terribly efficient approach to things but it was also probably the approach i needed to take which is what i did is i just kept writing books and submitting them and then they would be rejected and i'd be already be writing the next book and i'd submit that and it would be rejected and at the time i felt that all of these books were very good and since i then i've gone back through the back catalog and very few of them were of salvageable quality um so the lesson there is that certainly throughout say at least 12 of the 15 years i was submitting stuff and not getting published i wasn't all, i was also not writing publishable quality stuff and didn't really so know actually, that process actually went on for for 15 years for you before yeah. you oh, got yeah. a solid See that's yeah, and that's, it's, that's it's, the kind of stuff that young authors really like. I mean, like and not like because it can take <laughs> them long. But the fact, I mean, just looking at your success now is should be really encouraging. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I needed that time because I was 
basically practicing my style, even though I felt at the time I was writing stuff that was perfectly good. Everything I wrote was better than the previous thing I'd written. Um, and eventually, obviously, it gets to the point, you know, and you, you get there by reading other people's stuff. And I suspect that there's probably, you can shortcut things there if you're going, if you're sort of going to creative writing classes, if you're in a writing group, if you have people who, um, who you're getting genuine, non kind of familial feedback from, and you're in a mental space to take it, which I suspect I probably wasn't. I suspect if I'd gone, because I was so convinced that I was there, if I'd gone to a writing class and someone told me, well, actually, you need to do all this stuff, I would, I would have taken my, my manuscript and flounced out in a huff because I was that sort of person, frankly. And learning to take criticism and edits um, is another skill I basically had to force myself to learn because it doesn't, didn't come naturally to me at all. Um, but it is also an absolutely essential skill to being a writer because everyone needs it. How did you stay I persistent also, during those 15 years? That's a long time to keep doing something that has perhaps not achieving the level of success that people say you need to be achieving through doing that activity. Yeah, I mean, frankly, it was, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's literally, this was the thing, in all the things in my life that I've done, this was the thing I wanted to do. This was the thing I set out and chose, I wish to be a fantasy author. And mm -hmm. The idea of well, all right, maybe, 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 you know, why though, maybe not, wasn't palatable. So, despite getting literally nowhere for a very long time, I mean, the first time I got a request for a full manuscript was about sort of say twelve years into that fifteen-year period. Wow. That's so I really was getting absolutely did ever, nowhere. Did you ever go through any? Uh dark nights of the soul when you wonder just if, gonna ask that if you could if you could still keep going and still keep doing this because i imagine you were working a full-time job at that time too i was and i you yeah certainly towards the end of that period i was getting to a point where I think, well actually this is basically going nowhere and my 35th birthday was approaching and i basically mm -hmm. told myself right i can have one final go i'll write, find something that is particularly dear to my heart i'll write that and then if I've got nowhere by the time I hit 35, maybe I'll give, maybe I'll can it. And what yeah. happened was the thing I decided on with the shadows of the app, which because of the aforementioned role-playing connection, I knew over the world, I knew very well and was very comfortable with. I wrote um, what turned out to be the first four books in that series, sent them off and I got an agent. And I, I basically got the contact from the agent saying, Hey, let's, let's come and talk about your books about a week before my 35th birthday. Wow. And so it was, I mean, I am absolutely not saying that I would absolutely throw my notional typewriter out of the window and never <laughs> written another word after that. I would probably have gone on after a bit of a hiatus because I think it is that deep rooted inside me, but it really, yeah. I mean, I was absolutely trawling the, the, <clears throat> the pits of despair over not going anywhere because it is a profoundly sort of soul destroying business. I love hearing that, stories like that. It's extremely yeah. motivating and just a good reminder to stay persistent. So thank you for well, sharing. I mean, that. honestly, I, that, I try to tell that story um, for that exact reason. Because the other thing I remember is every so often you come across, well, I will read this writer's book on writing. <clears throat> and this writer's book on writing is, is 
will give the, the, the impression of them kind of lounging back in their golden chair being fed grapes as they muse whether or not they will accept the removal of this comma from that manuscript that the editor has, 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 has sent them. And you, you don't want to hear that when you're really getting nowhere because that no. just feels like someone is rubbing a face around. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, Rob does have a golden chair that he gets fed grapes in, but the rest of us aren't at that stage yet. It's true, by uh, young, nubile, virgin cats. I trained them myself. <laughs> I love this. Um, what does your writing process... What was that, Dirk? I was just saying, coming back around to the animal theme. Yes, <laughs> definitely on brand. Um, what does your writing like process circles. look like these days, Adrian? And how has that kind of evolved? Um... I mean, are we talking about like daily routine or are we talking yeah, about... Yeah, uh, sorry, routine is what I meant to say, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I've been um, a full-time author for two and a half years now. Um, so for most of my writing career, I've, been, I've had a full-time job as well. And you know, it, it's, it was purely a financial calculation as to whether I could afford to give that up. Um, I, these days I tend to write in the mornings as opposed to my, my, my previous routine of writing kind of late evening. Um, I usually try and write a section, whatever that section might actually comprise, a day. I found what I can't do is say write for the whole day because I kind of outstrip my inspiration. I need to go and let things recharge and let my mind turn over the next section before I come back to it. Um, I also I write a lot faster at the beginning and end of a project compared to the middle where things tend to slow to a crawl, um, mostly because I think naturally that's the part that if you plan that's the part you plan least you kind of know the end you kind of know the beginning the middle is just well then you know dot 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 <laughs> and, you, and you and there can be all sorts of sort of um logistical pitfalls that you haven't considered that you run into um the one thing i don't i'm talking about planning the one thing i don't plan is the final scene of the book so the actual denouement Ooh. is is left completely open. I know generally what the setup is going to be, who's going to be there, what the confrontation will be, but how it actually plays out, I leave to the momentum of the book to supply, and that seems to work very well. So, how many? Um, so, when you say you write a section, how yeah. many words are we talking about, and how many hours a day do you write? How many days a week? Um, it, honestly, it varies. I mean, I'm usually writing for at least two or three hours a day, um, and I'm usually turning out. Certainly since I've gone full time, I'm usually getting a good two, two and a half thousand words in. But if it's going slowly, if I'm chugging through the middle, that can be considerably less. If I'm racing towards the end, that can be considerably more. Um, you know, it, it, and it really, you know, the section is as long as the section needs to be at the end of the day. And it's usually getting to that kind of beat where you're then going on to the new scene or the next kind of big event. And then it's a matter of you know, it's, it's it's sort of conceptually you get to the, the the crest of the hill and you look down over the next space of land and then your mind needs to plan how you're going to approach that descent and the next mm. ascent up um, as a you know sort of a, a more traditionally published author as i think most of us are now self-published uh how many books do you have sort of on their way out at a time because i know as a self-published author i tend to have like a good couple of books that are waiting to be published so basically i'll have i've got 2021 ready to go 
uh, yeah. and I'm working on books um, for sort of 2022. Um, and I know you said that you've, you've just released Doors of Eden and you've got another one coming in January. So how many sort of books generally do you have waiting to be published while you're working um, on new? I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate and I've got a number of different publishers that I, I publish through. Um, and I mean, honestly, the amount that a publisher is willing to put out is, tends to be the big break on how quickly the books hit the shelves. Um, I mean, next year is going to be, 2021 is going to be a bit crazy because I think I've got sort of two full novels and two novellas out at various points um, from three different publishers. Um, but those are all, I mean, it's generally, a, it's about a two-year run-in. Mm. So the delivery point, so I'll start, I'll start a book, it'll take somewhere between sort of five months and a year to write, depending on how quickly I'm going and how complicated the book is. Uh, and I mean, that's one thing that has genuinely accelerated since I went full time, which I was worried it wouldn't. I, I kind of felt knowing me, I would probably end up wasting the time, but as it is, I've kind of knuckled down and, and made use of it. Um, but then there's usually at least a year's run in between delivery of the book and the publisher getting it to the shelves as well. So, yeah, there are, there are a number of books kind of in the ether sitting on publishers' desks, um, waiting for edits. And I'm working on books now that are going to be 2022 in the, at the absolute earliest, I guess. But I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I kind of feel I, I've always been slightly ahead from the very start, because I, when I delivered The Shadows of the Apple, I delivered four books. Huh. And Is by the time bother? the first book came out, the fifth book in the series was written. And so I've always been kind of ahead of the game. And that lead has been steadily eroded over the years. <laughs> but I, I feel I'm, I'm still just ahead of the snapping teeth of the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then there, you know, Rob, Rob works ahead because he's smart. Yes. Um, but then there are a lot of authors like me who, write a book, put it out, write a book, put it out, write a book, put it out. But you know, I'm, I'm slow. Like my first book came out in 2016. Um, but I had been writing it since like the summer of 2012, 2011. And then, and then it wasn't until 2018 that my second book came out. And just this year uh, in June that my third book came out. So it's minor, minor spread out quite a bit. And part of the reason I release them as soon as I get them done is because it's taken me so damn long. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about trying to write more books in a series before the first one comes out. But then of course that means it's going to be an even longer gap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's I mean, tough. I, 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 I found with Shadows of the Apt, it was a genuine advantage to be writing well ahead of the game because it meant, for example, there's a location that's visited fairly briefly in book four that then book seven visits for most of the book. And I changed my ideas somewhat about how it worked. And that meant that during the final edits for book four, I was able to shoehorn in a whole bunch of changes to bring it into line with my later. That is yeah, later and it, how it was going to work. And, that, and I've heard a lot of, uh, especially, uh, traditionally published authors who are like they don't get the opportunity usually to do what you were able to do with that yes. first one um, and then, I think that uh, that's which is why I'm I uh, because it's like oh crap I wish I would have done something different in book one while I'm writing book three or book five um, 
and you never get a chance to really do that, which, which is why I'm so fascinated to follow what Abercrombie's doing with his new trilogy, because he actually was able to write most of all three books before the first book was set. Um, and I, I think if you, if you can do it, if you, ha if you do have the opportunity, I think it's well worth seizing. When the big, I think the big trap that with the way pub, trad publishing works these days is you finally get your book accepted. It's your, the first book of a series, maybe you've spent sort of six or seven years polishing it to perfection. And then the publisher turned around and say, fine, you'll have the sequel for us in six months, yeah? <laughs> and of course you've not started on that. And yeah. it's that change of pace is, is kind of, is potentially catastrophic on, the, on what you produce on that second book. And you know you're gonna be judged on that second book yeah. as harshly as on the first, and possibly more harshly because it yeah. won't have the big boost of publicity that publishers tend to give the first book in the series. Right, that sophomore right. slump. Yeah, I was terrified with my, my, my follow-ups because the first one I just kind of wrote for myself and put out, and if people liked it, that'd be great. Of course, now I've gotten a little more mercenary and money is important. But um, you have more so I, was, I, was, I had no, nobody had any expectations of the first books, but then it was like all of a sudden there were like literally thousands of people waiting, unlike millions like you've got. <laughs> that I had, um, waiting that that expected something and that was that was terrifying to me it's all right Dirk you delivered it's fine Thank Robin you. Uh, Mike do you have any other questions I'm sort of all out of questions um, from my end so see how you yeah, guys go has Mike, has Mike had any or Rob yeah, yeah we, we talked about theme uh, I'm, I'm good my brain is starting to <laughs> I don't Hang plan these things. I just ask whatever questions comes to mind. I've done that. <laughs> Run out. Classic organic discovery writer approach. Meanwhile, the outliner has to have all his notes written down so that everything makes sense. Um, <sighs> maybe planning again. Yeah, one question to to close this out is um, if you could sort of send like a Adrian, if you could send like a text message to every writer, what would that text message be? So like, it could be a piece of advice. It could be like a trope that you hate seeing cropped up continuously. Um, it could be you talking smack about how they're never going to write anything as good as Children of Time. So they should just give up. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what message is that that you would like every writer to kind of hear? Oh God, every writer. I, I don't, you know what? I don't think there is a single message. There's no one size fits all. Uh, I'm almost <clears throat> a, a, a writer friend of mine, David Tellerman, has a thing uh, he usually throws at fancy books, which is what do people eat? Because if you look at most <laughs> fancy books, um, there is literally no agriculture and there are cities of thousands of people that eat apparently nothing. Um, <laughs> but then again, yeah, not all books need to work on that kind of logistical, logistical level. I, I genuinely don't think I have a, a universal sort of message of peace and harmony that would, would, would fit. <laughs> That be good really to each other. <laughs> be excellent. Well, then, yeah. then maybe, maybe uh, Adrian, you talked about, I'm always interested in what people are reading. Um, you talked about learning a lot about writing through reading. Um, what books were really influential and, and you feel really helped you? 
I think Peter Beagle for style, because mm -hmm. he does have the most beautiful poetic writing style. Um, I think writers, uh, Diane Wynne-Jones for pushing the boundaries of content. There are, there are certainly, there's a book she wrote called Power of Three, which is not one of her better known ones, but it's my, definitely my favorite of her, her work, which just is a textbook example of how to play games with the reader's expectation of what's going on in the setting, because it does it, does it not, not once, but twice as to your inbuilt ideas of well, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, what is, how does this world work? And it's absolutely beautifully sort of orchestrated. Oh, and uh, a similar question. What are you reading at the moment? Yes. Uh, I am literally just about to dive into RJ Barker's Call of the Bone Ships. Excellent. Ah. Nice little cross awesome. promotion. We had RJ on a couple of weeks ago, so. <laughs> If you like Adrian, you might like RJ stuff. Oh, there we go. Rob is holding it up. That's the first book. Can we start in this one at some point too? It, I've got eights. Um, uh, it, I mean, I, 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 I like to, I like to read the things that I, I at least try and write, and the, I like the really original, innovative, well-realized fantasy world where all the eternal yeah. internal logic works and none of it is simply oh well this is basically a bit like the middle ages only dragons or something like that and that rj is is with the bone ships that's an absolutely phenomenal world that i've never seen before so awesome, awesome. well that's definitely on my list as well i yeah I, I like you i think the big thing that appeals to me about fantasy is that going into those different worlds and i do have a bit of a not distaste for medieval fantasy, but yeah, I much prefer stories that try to do something, you know, a bit more unique and try to breach those boundaries a bit. There's nothing wrong with fantasy in that medieval setting. It's just that no, absolutely. they're the whole tradition of fantasy where that medieval setting is not thought about or examined in any way. It's just kind of imported wholesale from an MGM King Arthur movie. Yes. And then <laughs> a fantasy, fantasy plot somehow happens against that backdrop. And that always... I can think, well, look, not only is this not terribly innovative, it's also, I, fine, I read that book. That, that book has been done. Give me an interesting world where new things are happening. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, fantastic. Do we have any other quick last closing remarks or are we good to wrap this one up? Anybody? Silence. Bueller? <laughs> I, Bueller? I just want to say that this has been a joy. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, very, very much the same for me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Adrian. Um, if uh, to our people listening, if you haven't read Children of Time or Doors of Eden or any of Adrian's other books, definitely check them out. I'm halfway through Children of Ruin audiobook at the moment, and it's great. It's like horrifying and tender, and yeah, just like a very interesting world to explore at the same time. So I'm sure I'll be sending you a lot of angry messages when my favorite characters die off over the next couple of pages or whatnot. But um, <laughs> Until then, thank you everybody for uh, listening slash watching Wizards, Warriors and Words. Uh, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wizards, Warriors and Words. We hope you learned something useful. We love hearing from our listeners. Our email is wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. I personally read and respond to every email. So feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd also love to hear your questions. Send in a question via that email 
wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com and we might even answer it on the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people discover the show. Wizards, Warriors and Words is jointly hosted by Dirk Ashton, Michael R. Fletcher, Rob J. Hayes and Jed Hearn. Our music comes from Michael R. Fletcher and our artwork is by Felix Ortiz. Thank you again for listening. Now go and write extraordinary stories. We'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.